Ora. Welcome to Conversations with Wahine, brought to you by the Wellington branch of the National Council of Women, New Zealand. We are here with the Ambassador for Gender Equality, who is the lead advocate for Australia's commitment to gender equality and the human rights of women and girls and persons of diverse gender identities. The Ambassador promotes Australia's gender equality work and priorities and advocates the importance of women's and girls' human rights, ending gender-based violence, women's economic empowerment and the leadership of women and girls. Ambassador Stephanie Copus Campbell has championed gender equality and social inclusion over her 30-year career spanning community, academic, NGO, private, philanthropic and government sectors. Thank you for being here with us. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. So what led you down this career path? Was there like a defining moment or experience in your life that led you on this journey? So I grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska. And in Fairbanks and Alaska more generally, we have the highest rates of violence against women in the United States and the highest rates of violence against children. So it's twice the rate of of violence against women than the rest of the United States and six times the rate of violence against children. So early on in my life, I was really exposed to violence. I was exposed to what happens when you don't have gender equality in the household, in the community, in the private sector. And I was really determined at a young age to address these issues. So I I can say that for most of my life and certainly all of my adult life, I've been very focused on gender equality. I was really fortunate early in my career to work across the Pacific and Papua New Guinea. And I met so many inspirational women who were doing incredible things. I remember once in Papua New Guinea meeting this midwife who had no electricity, no running water, and she would she was on call 24/7 7 days a week she was the only midwife in a country that has one of the highest rates of maternal death in the region and women would come to her and by the torch of her mobile phone she would be delivering babies at night she was paying the the man with the generator to recharge her phone and Uh, She was an older woman in her 60s and she was hauling water in and out to clean up in between um, from the well outside. And I met so many women um, like this nurse, this midwife, that just inspired me to to be a champion for women because I know that when women have equal opportunities, as I said before, every single thing is better and there are so many barriers um, to them achieving their full potential. That's incredible. Um, What inspiration have you taken from New Zealand in the fight for gender equality? So New Zealand's been a wonderful, great partner for for so many years to Australia and indeed to myself. We I started working with colleagues in New Zealand when I was posted to Fiji in two thousand and four, and together we worked together to support programs such as the Fiji Women's Crisis Centre to expand across the region. And so being able to draw on some really unique approaches to 
addressing violence, but more um, specifically focusing on that prevention side was incredible. And the um, New Zealand partners brought so much to the table in terms of sharing experiences. And in fact, I was really privileged to um, meet with a number of stakeholders in the sector here today and again, learn so much. Um, I also say that I'm inspired by the number of women that you have in politics and indeed that you've recently had a, a female prime minister who um, led the way on, on many things. Um, and so I believe that the more we have women in those really high-level positions, um, the more we can create that as a norm and the more we can show other women that this is possible the better we all are. So I never take sides in politics, but I admire any woman who gets out there and has a go at it. Um, it's not an easy space for women in politics. We um, did some research recently on Australia which suggested that one out of three women working in Australia were abused online and that was much higher for women in leadership roles mm-hmm. like politics. Um, and one out of four would not take a promotion if it involved an online presence. Mm-hmm. And indeed, um, you know, we, we see that with all female politicians. So it's a hard, hard place to be. And I greatly admire any woman who steps up and does that job. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. you've made some really good points. And I know like this year there's been a lot of focus on digital presence Mm. and online bullying and Mm. it's talked about a lot at Parliament as well in New Zealand. Um, So obviously you're in New Zealand at the moment but you are Australia's ambassador. Mm -hmm. So what are the similarities and differences that you've noticed between Australia and New Zealand? Mm. I think there, I mean, there are many similarities and differences and I think not just between Australia and New Zealand but I would say... Every single country that I have visited, and I'm visiting many, have more similarities in terms of gender equality than differences. Um, We see in every country issues such as the burden of unpaid care and household labour, low pay work, gender-based violence. You know, one out of three um, women worldwide experience gender-based violence. There's not one country in the world that's on track to meet SDG 5 um, sustainable development goals five on gender equality. So across the board, women are doing it tough. And the other thing I would say that is an issue um, in every country that I've engaged in, and, and some have far greater challenges than others, but it's an issue, are social and gender norms and this whole idea of what women do and what men do mm-hmm. and this whole sense that women have a role in the household, they have a role in terms of care, um, they have a role in supporting a husband or taking care of a family. Men have roles in the workforce, they have roles in business, they take charge, they take lead. And when we when we change around those social norms, no one's comfortable. And I believe that continues to be a, a, a incredible barrier. So again, you know, take Sue, for example, and take Bob, and Sue is empathetic and loving and caring and plays nice with everyone. And Bob comes into work and he leans forward and he takes charge and he closes a deal. We tend to trust Bob and we tend to trust Sue in those roles. But imagine we changed those adjectives around and all of a sudden Bob was caring and empathetic and maybe a little bit teary at times and Sue was leaning in and closing the deal and taking charge. We naturally, unconscious and sometimes conscious bias, we don't trust Bob and we don't trust Sue. And that, again, is just an example of how social norms are undermining every single aspect of gender equality 
it's harder for women in the workforce. It's harder for women in a household where there's a power differential and they experience violence. Um, and it's certainly harder for, for women um, when they have intersecting disadvantages and disabilities. So I think there are many um, shared experiences. And, and the Gender Social Norms Index that UNDP just completed for 2023, they found that 9 out of 10 men and women hold these biases against women. 90% of us hold biases against women and they surveyed 85% of, um, of countries in, in the world. Mm. So um, nearly half of the people believe that men make, make better leaders, um, political leaders than women do and, and the list goes on. So we have such a long way to go in all of our countries and there's great similarities in all of our countries um, on how we address these challenges. So as I engage, you know, I think in, in some ways... Um, New Zealand and Australia, because both of our governments have committed to gender equality. We're both tackling it across all sorts of um, different ways in the public sector and the private sector across civil society. We both in our countries have a long, long way to go, but we're both prepared to take that leadership role internationally. Um, I, I believe that as such, um, we we have a lot in common and I can easily sit down and speak to any colleague about this in a way that we have a shared understanding. Yeah, so true. I mean, you're making some really interesting points about the way women are treated and the expectations that are sort of placed. I mean, what have you observed about differences? Because while these cultural expectations are always sort of there, mm. culture and society can vary so much around the world. So what sort of differences have you observed globally when you're discussing gender equality? Yeah. So I think, you know, globally, there'll be some countries that certainly have less legal rights and less protection. So what happens for women in Afghanistan in terms of legal rights and protection will be very different to what happens in, in Australia, New Zealand, elsewhere. There are in some countries more entrenched norms, greater patriarchy um, in, in terms of how um, societies are, are formed. There will be in some countries um, weaker civil society and grassroots movements, which is so incredibly important to ensuring um, progress in gender equality. Um, it may be harder to address and easier to excuse issues such as child marriage or domestic violence or female genital mutilation in some countries than others. So I think there's some fundamental challenges depending on um, the way in which social norms have evolved, the way in which women have experienced power differentials that may be um, greater or, or weaker in certain countries and certain situations. But as I said before, all of our countries experience these issues. Mm. And I might also add none of us can rest on our laurels because um, it can change overnight. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So how do you see the fight for gender equality intersecting with the fight for Indigenous rights and respect for the Indigenous culture? Yeah. So the first thing I would note is that gender equality and Indigenous rights have are, are rooted in the same principle, which is every single person should have mm. every single opportunity to meet their full potential regardless of their gender, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their age. I mean, basic universal human rights. Mm. And when we lose traction on one fundamental right, every single right is at risk, every single one. 
Um, fundamentally, if you see, like we're seeing in parts of the world at the moment, gender equality slip back, I can tell you right now, you look at it and you are seeing other rights which are slipping. It is mm. a red flag that there is a serious problem. So in addressing um, both of, of these issues, um, we're addressing fundamental human rights and that's essential and it's important. But if we also look at um, these issues, and I, I was in the most incredible conversation recently where there was myself, there was um, a um, another woman in the room that was working in um, the private sector, there was an Indigenous woman and there was a um, LGBTQI plus woman and they were talking about their experiences being women and the the one kind of white woman was there she was at um, work and every day she'd go and she was just so frustrated I get there I talk at the table the men don't listen to me I say it again I say it again then some other guy comes and says it and mansplays me and you know it's just so frustrating and the Indigenous woman said, yeah, I get that. I have that experience every single day too. But I have the experience of walking in with my colour of the skin, with people making um, these assumptions about me that just completely aren't true, um, with an intergenerational trauma based on what's happened to my people over you know, generation after generation after generation. Um, I have all of these things and more that I have to think about when I walk into work. And so it's these intersecting disadvantages that we always have to pay attention to. And I was in Fiji recently speaking to the um, the disability community and this very um, lovely man who was living with a disability said, you know, I, I like the whole idea of thinking about gender and inclusion and, and um, addressing disability within that. But when we pull all that together and we put gender as part of social inclusion and diversity, gender automatically becomes prioritised. We think about women and we also often think about white women. Um, we don't, we, we lose traction in what we need to have in terms of a voice for our own rights in terms of those living with disability. And so I think with that intersecting space, none of these issues should trump the other and we need to give them each their equal attention and we need to understand deeply what um, people face with um, intersecting disabilities and uh, intersecting um, disadvantages. And I... Um, I think that that's a key point when we're thinking about that in our Indigenous space as well, our First Nations space. Mm. So we're also now like living in an age where gender, um, different gender identification is ever evolving and is mm -hmm. only going to be more and more yeah. in the future. So how has that affected the landscape of your role? Yeah. So it's made it harder. And there is a great deal of um, discrimination and pushback against women more generally, against sexual and reproductive rights. But when you start to also talk about women and all their diversity, for example, so I can put up a tweet and if I talk about the rights of women and girls, um, don't really get many comments. As soon as I put in women and all their diversity in my tweet, I am flooded with hate mail. Flooded, mm. right? Um, I, When I first came into this role, I did a... Um, tweet and I talked about women and all their diversity. I talked about gender equality. Um, I, I alluded to, you know, those really important diverse issues. And within about a few hours, it went viral, not in a good way. There were people watching for those buzzwords and they, they heard it. They retweeted it and retweeted it. Within about 24 hours, it had reached 6 million people. I had been retweeted by conservative groups in the United States of America. Oh, wow. I had ended up on the Tucker Carlson show. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, it was quite extraordinary. Um, and the comments were, 
you know, a lot of it was about my my looks um, in a negative way. Um, there was a few mistakes in the in the in the recording in the video where I was in bright lights and didn't blink, and so there was a sense that I was <laughs> really scary. And the the um, conservative press in Australia was running um, Sky News was running a, a line. Australia should not have an ambassador that looks so scary. You know? um, so there's a lot of comments about my looks, that I look like the devil, that I look like, you know, just all sorts of things. There were a lot of comments um, about what did I know about security and gender equality and the two linked. I didn't know anything. Gender equality wasn't about security. So a lot of just really misunderstanding about what we mean about gender equality and why it's so incredibly important for things like security, things like economic um, advancement and, you know, whatnot. So that's that was an opportunity to explain a few things. But then the really nasty bit was just the absolutely targeted pushback to bring me down as a woman with a voice. And that's what it was about. It was to bring me down as a woman with a voice who was who was voicing um, support and respect for women who in all of their diversity. So these issues automatically just bring out more groups that are anti-LGBTIQ plus anti trans, um, anti-women, anti-abortion, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as soon as you say any of those words, you, you get quite a reaction. Because feminism's been around a bit longer, it's sort of an older issue. Mm. People are more used to it being discussed, but with these more modern ideas mm. and forms of identifying, you get, like, more people that feel yeah. like they can talk about it negatively, yeah. just that entitlement. I guess that brings us to our last question. What are your thoughts on how we've come in our journey for gender equality as a world, as Australia, as New Zealand, as our little duo? And what do you think still needs to be done? Obviously, a lot. You don't need to list everything for Australia and New Zealand to be able to say that we are gender equal. Are we getting close? Um, not yet. And so, again, not only are we not getting close, we've regressed over the last few years. We've regressed after COVID with more women taking on care burdens, Mm. um, with um, more violence coming out during those COVID lockdown periods. Um, Gender equality has regressed and it's much harder um, for women than it was before in that sense. In addition to that regression, we see the active pushback, which is getting more and more vicious at times mm. and um, more and more worrying. So those two things together, we we are seeing the country I grew up in. Um, my mother was telling me recently that she's quite distressed because at the end of her life, her granddaughter has less rights than she does mm. at the end of her life. Now you yeah. put that into perspective, that's that's not for... And so I think we assume these things are, are linear, that we would just make progress that our mothers and grandmothers fought for us and we can pick up from there but we can't mm. we have to continue to fight every single day we have to continue to be vigilant we have to ensure that we're not just thinking of within our own little comfort zones there's that that movie that was a spoof and funny but it wasn't so funny it was you know don't look up we have to mm. look up oh, yes. we have to see what's coming at us and we have to be organized to address it um, because I can tell you right now if we're worried about climate change, which many of us are, we are not going to address climate change without gender equality. Impossible. I like to say you can't have green without orange, which is the colour of SDG5. Can't do it. Women are disproportionately affected and they have um, a disproportion in a positive way 
number of the solutions because of lived experience. You have to mm. include women. Never mind, we need all the brains in the world on this. And when we open, you know, the brain power of half the population, we're going to get better solutions. Um, you can't address security without um, gender equality. You can't do it. You can't have peace and security ongoing if you are if you are violating the rights of half your population. You just can't do it. So when we think of the big sticky problems that we are facing in this world, if we don't have gender equality, we are going to go backwards. And it's as simple as that. Gender equality is the right thing to do. It is a fundamental human right, but it is also the smart thing to do. Um, without gender equality, we, we really um, don't have a lot to, to stand on. So I, in my job and, and many alongside me and, and in front of me um, are fighting for gender equality in everything that we do and I have the absolute privilege for the next few years to be Australia's lead advocate in this very important sector. Yeah. I just have one more question yeah, if you don't mind. <laughs> Obviously you've got quite the fight on your hands and you're coming up against quite a bit of pushback which is the world that we live in unfortunately. But how do you and yourself cope mm. in times when, you know, you're getting that pushback mm. and all the negativity mm. and everything coming at you? How do mm. you as yeah. a woman recharge yeah. and get your own sense of yeah, self back? That's a good question. And this works for me and I respect all the women and all their diversity who deal with this and find it mentally and physically devastating, and it is. Um, I have learned a few things early on. So one is I immediately in any situation find my power over it. So I'll give you just a quick example. A number of years ago I was out running and I was attacked. I um, was knocked to the ground. This person had very bad intentions. It wasn't just to rob me. And he was pulling me off into the bushes I, I fought like a, a mad person. Like, I mean, I scratched, I screamed, I kicked, I bit, I did everything I could. I had so much force. I'm not a huge woman, but I had so much force that I knocked him off of me and got up and knocked my running shoe off So somehow. That's how much force I had. And so afterwards, everyone was saying, you're going to have PTSD, you're going to have nightmares, you're going to need some psychological counseling. I actually think I'm fine. And anyway, kind of move on and fast forward a little while and I, I was living in Papua New Guinea and I was posting a lot through um, a corporate Facebook page and I don't normally use Facebook but anyway, I started doing this professionally and this guy that I went to high school with actually um, found me online and he just started texting me and so or writing me over whatever the Facebook communication is. And I was driving to the airport, so I saw it come through. I thought, oh, I haven't seen you since high school. So I just sent a note back and said, yeah, great. Um, what are you up to? And he sent me a note back. And so I put my phone. I was heading to the airport. I get to the airport, and there's this whole string of messages that ended with a naked picture of himself. Oh. And I felt disgusted. Like, I just felt horrible. I called my daughter, who lives in Melbourne, and I said, she's, she's in her 20s. I said, I just got this guy just sent me a picture. She said, Mom, you got a dick pic. I said, what? Do you get this? She said, yeah, just ignore it. I said, I can't ignore it. He's living in my head. I can't ignore it. And so I, I, I flew home and my husband picked me up and we were talking. And I said, I, I don't know what to do about this. Like, it, I feel sick to my stomach. I don't think I could sleep tonight. I said, I don't understand it because when this happened to me when I was knocked down, you know, it was attempted rape, 
I was okay. And now this is happening. He says, Steph, you have no power over it. He's in your head. He got in there without permission. Yeah. He said, mm-hmm. it may not lead to anything, but turn him in. And he yeah. worked at he worked at the university because um, on his Facebook, stupidly put where he worked. So I <laughs> made a complaint to the university and then it kind of got carried through. And anyway, so that I was able to come in. So when this happened with me, with the with all the horrible things online, I immediately knew I have to get power of the situation. Yeah. How am I going to do it? Mm-hmm. And I just decided... I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna read it. I read enough to kind of know what was happening. I'm gonna make light of it. And I think one of the first speeches I gave after it was, um, "Ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful to be here. You know, I recognise the traditional landowners. What I do, and I'd like to thank Donald Trump Jr." And I said, "What?" I said, "Well, he retweeted this. That then got retweeted and retweeted. And I now have this incredible platform to get my message across. <laughs> because the next day I went on radio. The next day I was able. You know, there's some positive things in the press. I got ears perking up when I started talking Perfect. about. Mm. You know, and so it just gave me yeah. power over these people who were mm. retweeting it and saying really horrible things about me. Now that doesn't work for everyone, and I respect that this. I, I've I, after that happened to me, I had so many people contact me and say, you know, I, I have so much stress from this. I can't eat. I can't sleep. My husband's beating me up at home because he's embarrassed. You know, like I, I get. So that was my thing. Um, I also really take a lot of time for self care. I say to all women that the analogy I like to use is when you're on the airplane, you put on the oxygen mask first before you help others. Mm. My self-care, and I'll just tell you, Kate knows what's coming. Um, (laughs) I am a wildlife care. So when I'm home, I take care of little tiny creatures. So I take care of possums and little microbats and wombats and and I just give them love and rehabilitation and then hopefully eventually let them back into the wild. And for me, that is just the most amazing self-care um, and I also do a lot of meditation. So for mm-hmm. me, I've I've learned over many years, particularly working in the violence against women's space, you need to you need to really yeah. mm-hmm. um, support yourself and mm-hmm. take that self care so seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of helped me in this space with you know a lot of pretty challenging things that mm-hmm. we engage in as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that's such an amazing point. I love the idea that just it's not one thing, it's just the idea of gaining power of the situation. Mm. And that varies depending mm. on the situation, because of course your response should vary mm. depending on what's mm. coming towards you, because it's always different things. But mm. being able to maintain that within yourself, I think is really good. So just before we finish up, if our listeners want to find out more about mm. you or yep. follow you on Instagram or anything yep. like that, yep. if you have Instagram, yep. how can they how mm. can they do yep. this? So I'm <laughs> an advert. I'm an avid myself um, LinkedIn user because it's a <laughs> safe space to be mm-hmm. in a comfortable space. So certainly Stephanie Cuppers Campbell on LinkedIn. Um, and similarly, we my office runs a, a tweet that I post various impressions when I travel and, and will indeed do one on my trip to New Zealand. Nice. Thank you so much for my your time pleasure. today. That's and amazing. I know, yeah, I know you you're here in. on a very short trip, so it means a lot to us that you thank set aside you. the time to come here. Thank you. Um, yeah, hope okay. the rest of your trip goes really well. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you.